the Eighth Circuit Network. We make things, put them in your brain. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Funk Radio. This is your host, slash DJ Kyle. And this is your host, Peter. Funk Radio, if you don't already know, is your favorite podcast for all your favorite funk hits. I didn't even know it was my favorite. <laughs> I can't believe we're already to 18 episodes now. I know. It's what, Seems like, like we just started. Just a little over two months. Yeah. So, Kyle. Yes. What is our subject for today? I think today we're going to talk about doo-wop groups. For those of you that don't know, doo-wop is a musical genre that's sort of a vocal group harmony. Very popular in the 50s and 60s, but... I guess it's an ensemble singing with single artists appearing with, like, a backing group. Mm-hmm. It's like a quartet or a quintet of guys or girls, or girls that sing in harmony, basically. Yeah. Got its start, actually, in the 40s, but there were doo groups all the way up until the 70s. Mm. Yeah, the first group that I would thought of, because they're really, they are basically the originators of the concept of a doo group, at least in the African-American community, because I'm sure there were, there were white groups, but... In the well, doo wop was. I don't mean to interrupt, but I mean, doo wop was more of like a white people thing. No, I was, I, mean, I guess it was. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I guess I'm thinking of it from this, yeah, especially I, our I'm perspective just... is more of like the, the black people side. <laughs> of, I mean, I'm just saying, but I, yeah, you're right. It, it was, I mean, especially in the 30s because racism was still fairly prevalent. It was, it started out as a white people thing, but then with this group that became famous in the late 30s and early 40s called the Ink Spots. They were a black doo-wop group, and they became popular with both the white and black community in the 40s. So they kind of made the, the doo-wop genre kind of go into African-American music. Hmm. So you, when you said they were before that they were originators, you mean like within they were originators the African-American with, side of it? Yeah, exactly. Okay. They, they brought doo-wop to the African-American music scene. Mm, that's cool. Uh, whereas before it was mainly a white people thing. But it's funny because they were very influential. They actually helped define a lot of music seen in rhythm and blues and obviously the doo-wop genre. Mm-hmm. And actually they were inducted into the Vocal Group Hall of Fame in 1999. Cool. Let's listen to a clip of one of their hits, Whispering Grass. Now remember, this song is basically from like, I believe like 1941. So it's very... Old. That too. (laughs) It's very rough sounding because the recording devices at the time weren't exactly stellar. That's true. So this is Whispering Glass by the Ink Spots. Grass. What did I say? Glass. This is Whispering Grass by the Ink Spots. (laughs) I tell them all your secrets Who kissed there long ago Whispering grass The trees don't need Definitely, they already, I mean, from from the start of, I guess, this African-American subset of doo-wop, you already have basically this, this the sound that kind of defines doo-wop, it's already kind of established here. Mm-hmm. It's kind of cool. Yeah, they basically were like superstars, I guess, within this, within the 30s and 40s, especially during the war. Mm-hmm. It's really funny, though, because when I first heard these guys, I did not know they were black. Mm-hmm. And actually, there's a, a lot of the songs, there's a lead singer, I, I forget his name who uh, does, like, the verses, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And he has this real super country twang, but they're all, like, African-American members. It's really freaky. 
you know, um, as you were saying before, because I, I, you think I think you mentioned that it was still somewhat racist during this time, right? I mean, the, the culture. Yeah. A little bit. So, did you think maybe in terms of marketing groups like this, they didn't necessarily find it necessary necessary to point out that they were black because maybe because um, I know that's kind of been the case with some others. I mean, yeah, especially in the '40s. I mean, they didn't exactly have television or anything. So that's well, even a, on the radio, I mean, they didn't necessarily say like, "Hey, here's a bunch of black guys singing harmony." Yeah, <laughs> yeah cause, exactly. cause a certain number of people would change the. Uh, that's a very good point. I don't know if that's the case, but I can definitely see them going in that direction, especially mm-hmm. if they want to make them marketable to the white masses, which were still apprehensive of black culture. Yeah. Well, luckily, as time went on, the gap closed pretty much. Yeah. On the other end of the spectrum, Peter, what other doo-wop bands are we talking about? Another one that we want to talk about that is actually very popular is uh, The Four Tops, who formed in Detroit, Michigan in 1953. And you said the ink spots are more like the 40s or so. Uh, yeah, late 30s, early 40s. Okay. Into the, almost into the 50s. Right, okay. They were actually a major influencer in the Motown sound. This was partly due to the fact that they were backed by the Funk Brothers, who were Motown's house band, who we talked about in the last episode. And if you want to learn more about house bands, you should check out our, what is it, episode 17? Yeah. Yeah, it's actually a really cool subject, so if that sounds interesting to you at all, you should go check it out. So, okay, something we talked about with the Funk Brothers, remember how we were saying that they eventually moved to LA? Yes. Okay, something I was researching about the Four Tops was that I guess Motown as a whole in the early 70s actually slowly moved to LA because Barry Gordy, I guess, the the, the head of Motown, he wanted to, I guess, break into the, the movie industry and the television industry, which I found kind of interesting since he was a record producer. So anyway, they announced in 1972 that the whole company would be moving to Los Angeles. And this was also a time where more of the older Motown acts, including the Four Tops, but also ones like the Fork Brothers, like I said, and also like Martha Reeves and groups like that, they were kind of getting, they were already being kind of neglected by Motown and being replaced by new acts like the Jacksons and others who were becoming really popular. So groups like the ones I just mentioned, they were like, well, we're already being neglected. We don't want to move to Los Angeles for no reason. So they dropped out of Motown. I found that kind of interesting because I know the Funk Brothers, anyway, they moved to L.A. eventually. I guess that was later after that because remember we were we were wondering whether they left Motown to go to L.A. to go pursue something else. But I guess they did that afterward. I after see. Um, but I found it interesting that the, the Four Tops also did this, that they left Motown because I guess by the time it was 72, I mean, that was kind of they were already, they had already kind of lived their lifespan in terms of releasing hits and things like that right because i mean they were mostly 60s -hmm. their first number one hit was called i can't help myself sugar pie honey bunch i think a lot of you have already heard this but uh, let's listen to a clip anyway So yeah, so yeah, I can't help myself by the Four Tops. It's that's a nice song. It's it's pretty cool. I can dig it. Yeah, along with the Four Tops, another really famous and probably almost the most famous duo band is the Temptations. And they so, were under the same label. They were also Motown. Yes, they formed actually in Detroit in 1960. But uh, the group, I guess, always had five members, even though some of the, those members kind of changed out over the years. Mm-hmm. The band Smokey Robinson and the Miracles. One of their bandmates, Bobby Rogers actually wrote the Temptations' first top 20 hit, The Way You Do the Things You Do. 
let's listen to a little clip of that really quick right now so you guys can get, I'm sure a lot of you have heard it, but you guys can get a feel of what the temptation sounded like. Yeah, it's a good example of the Temptations early sound because I know later on they kind of moved into more psychedelic soul. I mean, especially later on, but I mean, they had a lot of yeah, ma- mainstream hits in-, in between there. Yeah, it's interesting though because Smokey Robinson and also his bandmate Benny Bobby Rogers were sort of their pseudo producers mm-hmm. up until about 1966 when they produced a song for them called Get Ready. They kind of underperformed, so Barry Gordy was like, hey, you're out, we're bringing in this new guy, Norman Whitfeld. And he kind of took over as the writer of the group and moved them away from that sort of doo ballad sound that Smokey Robinson was known for and into more of like a, a bass-heavy sound similar to James Brown. Mm-hmm. That's when they had hits like Papa Was a Rolling Stone. Well, you mentioned Smokey Robinson had their more of like ballad-type mm-hmm. songs. I mean, because he was with the Miracles and they did, they were kind of similar. Yeah, Miracles Same were a little bit, little bit before The Temptations, but... They kind of paved the way for that 60s doo-wop sound. Yeah. And then the Temptations took it to, like, a different level. Mm-hmm. Obviously, kind of outshined the Miracles. No pun intended. I guess that was a pun. Because <laughs> Miracles, because it's something big, and if it's hard to outshine something, shut up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even going to try and qualify my crappy puns today. That's okay. So, um, another group relatively popular in this same vein of artists is the Sheilites who were a Chicago-based soul vocal quartet prominent in the early 70s. So we're kind of moving along the, the timeline here. We're moving forward in time. Some of their more major hits came in 1971 with Have You Seen Her and in 1972 with Oh Girl. Those two are probably their most those most famous hits, I would say, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty good songs. They formed in the early 60s when the Chanteurs joined with two members of the Desideros, to form the highlights, but their that was their original name, but they, they later changed the name to the Shilites to pay tribute to Shy. Oh, that's what I meant. Sorry. Um, they later changed their name to the Shilites to pay tribute to their to their home city of Chicago. I can dig it. Let's go ahead and listen to a clip of their 1972 hit, Oh Girl. They were kind of one of the last major doo groups because they their popularity ranged till about 1973. But by that time, disco and solo artists were kind of taking over. So I, I, I mean, they're very popular in their own right. I just wanted to include them in our set because to show, I guess, the time range that doo groups were significant because they were kind of at the later stage. But you were saying that they, they weren't popular for, I mean, that long. They weren't popular for very long, probably like, you know, late 60s to early 70s, so about five years maybe. Mm-hmm. But, because um, like I said, by that time, disco was taking over, Solars were taking over, Duop right. kind of had their time. Yeah. But they still sound pretty cool. Yeah, they do. Moving on, we actually got to move back again. We're going uh, back in back, time. Back in time. To one of the earlier doo-wop groups called The Dells. And they originally formed in Illinois, but in 1955, they signed with VJ Records, which was based in Gary, Indiana. 
actually isn't Gary, Indiana? Isn't that also where uh, the uh, the Jacksons were from? Yes, it is. That's interesting. I, I guess it's. A, I mean, I hear about that city relatively often. I guess it's kind of big. I have no idea. It's the only city in Indiana. <laughs> really? <laughs> to be honest, yeah. Oh, uh, okay. Well, that that would be why. But that's not the that's not the capital, is it? I don't know. I should know. I lived in Illinois. I was neighbors. Uh, I don't know, but I just know it's the only big city. So. Uh, okay. Well, that, that would make it would sense. make sense if it was the capital. I'm gonna. <laughs> I'm going to look this up very quickly. Okay, because we don't know the capital of Indiana. I, I went to college. Oh, it's Indianapolis. Oh my gosh. Wow, we were dumb. <laughs> I forgot oh that my that's, gosh. Kind of a, that's kind I, of a big city, too. I guess, I guess uh, it's been a while since third grade or whatever. The, yeah, yeah, fourth, fourth grade. grade capitals. Wow. We that's went to college, too. That's what happens when you get old, I guess. Yeah, you forget. You well, you don't, you don't learn the capitals in college. I'm just saying, like, we went to college and we don't know the capital of Indiana. <laughs> well, now we do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, my gosh. All right. Anyway, um, back to the Dells. So something I found interesting about the Dells is that their lineup of, of people in the group remained unchanged for almost 50 years until 2009 when the group's lead singer Johnny Carter uh, passed away but something that's also something I realized with the four tops as well is that they were they lasted a very long time with their original lineup going from 1953 to 1997 wow and now with the four tops there's only one of the original guys left oh but um the Dells I think all of them except for the lead singer are still around which is kind of impressive because I know the Dells are partly known for lasting so long with the original group I mean I think that's kind of hard to do that's what you get when you have Adele. It lasts a long time. I'm dumb. <laughs> I've never owned Adele. I haven't either. I actually heard the pieces of crap. Well, we don't want to give you listeners any preconceived notions about Dell computers. We're sure that they are a fine brand of electronics. Indeed. But that's something you can research because we're not going to talk about Dell computers. <laughs> So the Dells only had two songs that reached number one, which is too bad because they were kind of influential in the, in the doo-wop scene. But one of those two was called Oh, What a Night. And I found this interesting that they originally released it in kind of a doo-wop style that we've been talking about in 1956. But it didn't reach number one until they re-recorded it in 1969. And they kind of gave it a more soul-like sound. You still get the, the feeling of the doo-wop like, base of it. But it's it's got a different sound, and actually, I like the sound a bit better. And I probably, I guess, a lot of other people did too, because it reached number one. But let's go ahead and listen to that version of "Oh What a Night" by the Dells. Yeah, moving along, I guess another similar to the Dells, we have the Delphonics. Similarly, they formed a little bit later. They formed in 1965, and kind of helped pioneer the Philadelphia soul sound. They were one of the few doo-wop bands, I guess. I guess a little bit similar to the Temptations, that kind of went to the more soulful side of things. Yeah. They kind of helped pioneer that Philadelphia soul sound because they were at Philly Groove Records. Actually, all of their hits were written and produced by Tom Bell, a major player with the Philadelphia scene. He's actually a really influential writer-producer in kind of the Philadelphia soul scene. 
and he's someone that I really actually want to talk about later on to kind of focus on him and the songs that he wrote and produced during this time because he was really uh, a big deal. The song that we want to represent with them is Didn't I Blow Your Mind This Time, which was released in 1970. Let's listen to a little clip of that right now. I don't know where I first heard this song. Where did you hear it? The Quentin Tarantino movie Jackie Brown. <laughs> oh yeah, actually, yeah, I was reading that actually part of their popularity was kind of spurred on again with the coming of Jackie Brown. That movie and what was that in the late '90s? When was that? Mid '90s. Mid '90s. Yeah, because yeah, I think two characters like discussed their love of the Delphonics and they played this song somewhere throughout the movie. Kind of shows how. Um, how kind of awareness of groups like this can kind of come back again in ways that you know, people might not necessarily think of. Yeah, it's interesting how just a mention or a, you know a song being in a popular movie or popular commercial or whatever can like completely reinvigorate the careers of these artists. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, I mean, that's kind of similar to um, in one of our first episodes. I guess it was our second episode when we talked about soul songs in uh, TV commercials exactly. and how that kind of can help raise people's awareness for these old songs, whether they used to know it and forgot about it or they had never heard it before. Indeed. What's the last, I guess, doo-wop group that we have on the roster for today, Mr. Peter? One last group that we should talk about today is the Marvelettes, who are actually, you know, we didn't really think about this when we were talking about this, but actually this is the only girl group that we're going to mention today. Yeah, I when I, was, when I was doing this, I thought about putting in, like, the Supremes or... Uh, Martha Reeves, but mm-hmm. I thought these, because these were, Marvelous were one of the first, so I thought they were a better representation, whereas the yeah. names similar to the Temptations and stuff actually yeah. went the more soulful route. Yeah, and that's where most of their career kind of went. So, I mean, this this is a good example of a group where they were originally doo-wop and they pretty much just stayed that way, because they weren't popular for all that long. They formed in 1960, so not, not the earliest of any of these groups. But they were Motown's first successful girl group, actually. It's kind of too bad. I guess this kind of comes with the territory of working with Motown because they were really quickly eclipsed by other Motown girl groups, like the Supremes, like you said, mm-hmm. who started out maybe a little bit doo wop but then they really grew quickly into more soulful type of style. And that really kind of shadowed the Marvelettes and other groups like this, which is kind of too bad because they have a cool sound. But their most popular song was called Please Mr. Postman, which they released in 1961. And I found it cool that this was actually Motown's first number one hit. Because, I mean, when you think about it, they had such a huge list of number ones in in the following year, probably the next decade or so, uh, during their golden age. So it's kind of cool that they were actually the the first group to to get a number one hit. That is. Let's go ahead and listen to a clip of Please Mr. Postman. Kind of a nice change up in hearing a female vocal group doing this style because I don't think you really heard it as much, even in general. I might be wrong, but I mean, I think most of them are, are male groups. Yeah, it is exactly. It's very interesting because they were one of the first female groups that you were saying to kind of go that doo-wop genre. I think 
especially in the 50s because music in general was very male-dominated. Mm. So they kind of pioneered the whole feminine side of things. Yeah. Paved way for people like Diana Ross and the Supremes. And the, yeah, that's a good point. I guess a good topic that we could kind of think about is, do you think that the success of doo-wop groups, do you, would you say that they helped pave the way for soul in that other artists took their place in popularity, or do you think they helped pave the way for soul because as doo-wop was fading in popularity, they struggled for a new sound themselves? Mm. Do you mean that doo-wop was replaced by soul, or whether it kind of led to soul? Is that, is well, that I mean, yeah, it, was, it was obviously replaced by soul, but I was wondering if doo-wop groups were more influential in that they paved the way for other artists that were originally in Seoul to become popular, or if they... Oh, I see. You mean, like, do you... Yeah, okay. Yeah, or if they themselves, struggling for a new sound, went into Seoul, like, like, the, uh, like the Supremes, like the Temptations, do you think that they kind of ushered in that popularity themselves? I would say partially, yeah. Especially with groups like, yeah, like you said, like the Temptations, or even the, uh, the Supremes, because... I mean, when you think about it, Soul has a number of different influences that it kind of takes from, you know? Because, I mean, you have, like, your blues and the gospel and stuff like that. Uh, so it, it kind of depends on who it is. Because, I mean, e- even within Soul, you have a lot of variation. Not only in, in influence, but also just in sound, which is kind of defined by the influence. And so I would say not all Soul that I've heard is necessarily directly influenced by doo but I, I think certainly a lot, uh, some of them are. Similar, yeah, agreeing with what you were saying, I think that doo-wop groups really helped kind of pave the way for soul in the fact that because they uh, kind of also paved the way for things like R&B and, like you were saying, gospel, mm-hmm. um, as doo-wop was... Well, I mean, they were all kind of co-founding co, co, yeah. soul. Co-founding, exactly, exactly. I, I think that... Because doo-wop, especially in the late 60s, as we were talking about with the Shy Lights being one of the last major groups, mm-hmm. doo-wop was definitely, had seen its, uh, its better days, I guess for lack of a better word, mm-hmm. that it was a comp- it was these artists struggling for a new sound. Obviously, uh, writers or producers like Norman Whitfeld, who kind of obviously had, high, I wouldn't say high, higher aspirations, but like they... Fresh take on it. Maybe. Yeah, he envisioned different sounds for these groups. And I think it was their struggle for continued fame um, that really helped pave the way for Soul because they were more uh, venerated as groups and artists. So they sort of gave qualification to these newer group, newer guys like Marvin Gaye in the late 60s and Stevie Wonder, mm-hmm. solo artists. So because they had the, I guess, experience or whatever in the industry, they and the fact that they adopted this new sound kind of gave qualification to a lot of newer artists that otherwise people maybe maybe not maybe wouldn't have considered. Well, I mean, I, I guess in a way that kind of accentuates the, the importance of, of songwriters because, I mean, for example, with Norman Whitfeld and The Temptations, I mean, if, if they hadn't gotten a new writer for their songs, they very well may have dropped off in the style of The Marvelettes or something, and they wouldn't have released most of what, what they're actually known for today. Yeah. Similar to what we were discussing last week is the Funk Brothers and these bands were very good at sort of changing their musical style with the, what was popular because they, you know, they did the backing for these guys like the Temptations, but then when they went the soul route, the Funk Brothers were right there with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think the, the groups that, that can really adapt with the changing times with, in terms of sound, 
those are the ones that really stay around the longest. Exactly. I think that's why, I mean, completely different genre, but I think the concept of, like, you know, the bands that change with the times and the ones that stay around the longest is the Rolling Stones, because they literally did every genre of music. <laughs> they did Yeah. They did the harmony, like the Beatles, they did rock, they did country, they did R&B, they did, they did disco. <laughs> Not even kidding. They've been around for 50 years. I think they actually just released a new song. Hmm. I guess they are the chameleons, I guess, of the musical world. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I digress, because they're rock, not soul. Hmm. But, but it's the, the, the concept is the same. Yeah, that's kind of all I got on duo groups, obviously. We've hmm. proven with these groups that they were very influential in, I guess, the evolution of the African-American music scene, and also the acceptance of that of African-American music with the masses of mm-hmm. white people as well, but also helped birth and influence later genres like soul and folk and all that jazz. No, <laughs> no pun intended. See, there is a pun. There. That is a pun that is not <laughs> There you go, Kyle. <laughs> uh, Thanks for listening to our show. We always appreciate that. Uh, like us on Facebook and subscribe to us on iTunes and all that fun stuff. This has been your host, Peter. And this has been your host slash DJ Kyle. Join us again later this week as we touch on another one of your favorite Funkist subjects. Oh, and all of you listening have a turkey-tastic Thanksgiving. Funky-tastic. Oh, yeah. Is Thanksgiving only a... I guess it's only an American thing. Yeah. <laughs> If we if we have any if we have any international yeah. listeners, um, we hope you, that you have a chance to eat some turkey as well because it's a very important part of your year. I guess. Happy Turkey Day. Bye. For more podcasts and the latest news in gaming, movies, and entertainment, visit 8 